Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Ologies with Allie Ward. I'm clearly Allie Ward. I'm very, very excited that this is finally up. I've been working on this for so long, like the better part of a year, just to put out the first few episodes. And I've wanted to do something where I explore all these different ologies for over a decade. I came across this list of ologies, all these obscure ones. And I just thought like, who does this stuff? Who studies it? Why do they study it? Like what happened to spark their obsession with this? There's got to be something. So on the list was volcanology. And I thought, who studies volcanoes and why? And so I sent out some emails and I just kept hitting like cul-de-sacs where I couldn't find anyone to interview. And I thought, I'll find a volcanologist later. And a few weeks later, I happened to be at one of those dinner parties where you're socially just completely out of your league. Like, I think I brought a dip that like wasn't vegan when I was supposed to bring something vegan. And people were talking about art films from the 70s and... Romanian philosophers I was unaware of. Wonderful people. Very smart. Much smarter than me. And as one of them was leaving, she's like, I got to peace out. I got to get up and do some campaign stuff. And I said, what? Who is that? So she's a volcanologist who's also running for Congress. So I approached her and then gently stalked her and we became friends on the internet. And then she invited me up to her campaign headquarters, which is a shared office space in the Valley right now. She made me a cup of tea. I met her dogs and we sat down and we talked about volcanoes. And she told me about lava flow and how islands get burped up from the ocean floor and her experience with horse bandits and the best way to die. And we talked about running for Congress too and what that entails. And Spoiler, it there's, entails a lot of work, but if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be this chick who stares into the open, gaping maw of a volcano. So uh, get ready to learn a lot about volcanoes and also have an immediate crush on Jess Phoenix. And then we're ready to go. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. 
Now, do you say volcanologist or volcanologist? I've seen it both ways. Yeah. So I say volcanologist because I am an American uh, and we ruin everything. Uh, that is what we do. <laughs> Volcanology with the U actually um, in ancient times. And if you think about it, Italy is one of the centers of the study of volcanoes because of things like Pompeii. <laughs> the Italians their god was Vulcan with a U. And so anything related to volcanoes, uh, those folks address it with a U. Um, Again, English speakers, it's with an O, volcanology. So Jess came to LA to do grad school in geology. And as sort of like a, this would be kind of cool, whim, she applied for a summer volunteer researcher position with the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory. Because like, if you're going to volunteer somewhere, do it on an island paradise. They actually said, yes, you can come. So she was a new grad student. She wasn't sure what she was going to focus on. She thought maybe plate tectonics. I really thought subduction zones were really cool. What is a subduction zone? Subduction zones are where the ocean floor dives beneath the continents. And uh, because the continents are less dense than the ocean floor. So the continents are granite. Granite is less dense. uh, And then the ocean floors are basalt more dense. So the basalt sinks beneath the continents and that's called subduction. Okay, so pay attention because this is the basic premise of what a volcano is. This is it. And it's followed by an egregious geology pun. And uh, it's pretty cool because then the the sinking ocean floor gets melted as it gets hotter, as it deepens, and then it uh, rises. Hot things rise. So it rises back to the surface and often forms volcanoes that erupt on the surface. Whoa. So subduction leads to volcanoes. Uh, and there's there's a joke actually in volcanology and in all geology that subduction leads to orogeny, which is orogeny is mountain building. So nice. it's, I have a shirt that says subduction leads to orogeny. <laughs> I did not get this joke, but I laughed in the moment. Orogeny, 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 because I felt stupid. And I... To this day, I think it's a play on seduction and erogenous zones, but I Googled it just to check. And let me tell you, I did not find an an explanation, but I did find shirts and pins and hats and all manner of Etsy items available with this phrase on it. Subduction leads to erogeny. For anyone who needs to rep a lust for geology. I mean, the humor, it's there. We love our terrible puns and uh, we love anything that is, well, for the most part, the kind of volcanologists or well, I should say geologists I hang out with, we love the destructive things. So if it's got a terrible pun that can be made or, you know, it's going to kill everybody, we're into it. Oh no. So. I mean, that is one thing about volcanoes. Like, is I feel like it's it's such a thrilling study because there's like an, a doom attached to it. Like you can throw virgins in it. It can destroy your entire city. Yeah. Did you grow up being interested in like Mount St. Helens or Pompeii or anything, the history of Everything. Yeah. Actually, it's funny. My undergraduate degree is in history and oh. I studied Latin and my emphasis was in um, uh, art and architecture of ancient Rome. So um, I was really aware of how ancient natural disasters affected people. Right. Um, so you had volcanic eruptions that really shaped the founders of modern civilization, the Romans, um, Mm -hmm. with Pompeii in 79 AD. And that was when the first volcanology was done. So, I mean, I was studying history, but also learning about my future career. And I didn't even know it. What do you, what's been a really exciting discovery for you? Either the, an actual discovery that hasn't been made by anyone or an epiphany that you had while you were doing this? 
Um, you know, that's a really, that's a cool question. Um, I'll just tell you about the time that I actually really realized that I was like, volcanoes are it. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is, this is the most amazing thing I've ever done. Um, there were several, but when I was at the volcano observatory, my third day on the job, um, first two days were paperwork because it's U.S. government. That's what you do. <laughs> uh, the third day, my boss said, hey, uh, we're going to go to the summit of Mauna Loa. And that's the world's largest volcano. And oh, it, you could see it looming. Like, it looms very well. Um, it's not your typical impressive straight up and down cone that people see. It's long. The name in Hawaiian means long mountain. So um, it's really, really long. It's, there's no way to effectively convey it. Even when I'm standing in front of someone and trying to gesture with my hands, you can't explain how long this thing is. I mean, like but along vertically, horizontally? No, horizontally, it okay. spreads. Um, Hawaiian lavas flow. They ooze. Um, they're not like explosive, like mm -hmm. the ones you think of when you think of Mount St. Helens or say Dante's Peak. They're right. more oozy. And so um, the mountain builds up over time and the, the lavas just ooze out and they stack on top of each other. So okay. Mauna Loa is a shield volcano, which they named it because it looks like a warrior shield on its side. So it's a gentle slope. Uh, but when you're on the summit of it, you're almost 14,000 feet high. Oh my God. So to drive up there, we took my boss's modified uh, Chevy Tahoe, <laughs> which the US government gave him, expecting him to take care of it he put rock crawling tires on it, uh, ripped off the bumper, saw, well, sawed it off actually with a hacksaw. Oh my God. Uh, and then pulled off the running boards. And then it had adequate clearance to go up Mauna Loa because the, you're driving over lava. Oh Nobody goes God. up there. But when you get into the summit of it, there's a caldera. The caldera is related to the word cauldron. It's basically where if you envision yourself standing on the edge of a volcano and you look at the roiling lava lake, that's what you're thinking of, the caldera. But this caldera, it wasn't erupting, so it hadn't erupted since the 80s. So the lavas were all cooled, and they're they're just shiny and black and beautiful. And the caldera is miles long and miles across. It's huge. What? So we were standing in the summit caldera, and I was sitting there on lavas that were young that were younger than me. They were from 1984. The world's largest volcano is still growing. Oh God. And I was looking into this vent where the lavas had come up from, and it's this abyssal-looking hole. I mean, you look down into it, and there's just nothing. And my boss said, we're going to go down there and look at some of the lavas because we might want to take a sample. And I'm like, really? We can just go down there? Oh, my and, God. And he's like, yeah, we can go down there. So, of course, I went down there. And I'm in this vent on the world's largest volcano, almost 14,000 feet high. And I went, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> like, this is this is so amazing. And that wasn't even flowing lava. That came later. But just the, the scale of it and the fact that it, we're still building this planet. Like we're not doing anything. I should say humans aren't, but the planet is still alive. It's still growing and changing every day. And I'm like, this is living history. And and I just fell in love. Were you at all scared being down there at all? Nah. I mean, that's that's my problem. Um, my parents would probably agree. Uh, whenever I'm going to go do something, you know, I'm really pretty well versed in doing risk assessments, hazard assessments. Uh, it's been some of the stuff I've had to do for my jobs. And so I, I look at the risks and I take calculated risks, but I guess my scale for what's scary is a lot different than most people's. Like, I mean, I work in areas where there are uh, venomous snakes and spiders. Um, there are active volcanic eruptions. Um, I've worked in areas where there have been narco-trafficking routes going on. I've, I've dealt with narco-traffickers. I've had to deal with... Um, uh, Horse thieves. Uh, and, horse thieves. Yeah, in Peru on and an you, expedition. You can't like put a club on your horse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you're at 16,000 feet elevation, 
no help is coming. Helicopters can't even get there, really. So you're basically in a remote valley, and if the horse thieves come, you better hope that the wranglers who are taking care of your pack animals have a rifle, which they did. So... So all was well. We didn't lose any animals, but you did know, you just shoot at the at the thieves? They just had to show them the rifle because the thieves were armed too. But when they saw that our camp was armed, that was it. But you know, it's when you deal with things like that. That's what you do. That's science today, and that's what people don't see. They they see the volcano and they go, "Oh, it's erupting," but they're not necessarily thinking about the poisonous gases or the heat stroke, the the less sexy and glamorous parts of doing field research. Mm-hmm. But is that kind of what? what thrills you about it a little bit? Yeah, because it's, you know, it kind of strikes a little bit more at the the true heart of exploration as it was intended to be. Right. Everybody needs to do what draws them. And for me, it's volcanoes, you know, and for some people it's circumnavigating the, you know, the South Pole, who knows? <laughs> so what is it like when you're, your particular study of volcanoes? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you focus on the spewy ones, the ashy ones, the oozy ones. Like, what's your what? Yeah, what's what's my niche? Yeah, um, what's your jam? So, really, um, I, you know, I started out on Hawaiian volcanoes, and I ended up doing undersea as well. And then I've also studied uh, the explodey sorts of volcanoes too. I mean, I've done work uh, in Mexico on some extinct volcanoes. Um, I've done work in Ecuador on um, more like eruptive, currently currently erupting volcanoes, and then just all over the U.S. Um, on the, the Cascades volcano, Pacific Northwest. Uh, so really, it's a mix. And my real specialty, what I love, is volcanic hazards. So what you do, (laughs) you're the only person I'm ever going to meet in my life who's going to say that sentence. You say this, but you could go to, you could go to visit um, Kilauea Volcano in Hawaii. They have a visitor center there. And, you know, the the, the volcanologists are usually inside doing work or outside doing work. Um, But sometimes they'll wander around over the overlook and, you know, where the public is and they'll look out and you may, you may be standing next to a volcanologist and not know it. So we look like normal humans. (laughs) Is it, you guys need to do, you need to wear some cool hat or something. We just need the pointy ears because and that would make the Star Trek jokes I get, like they would make them all completely relevant. Yeah, so, how often do you get that? Like pretty much all the time. Um, everyone goes, wait, so I didn't know that Star Trek was something you could get a degree in. And I'm like, yes, I've heard that one. Thank you though. But no, I mean, and then I usually respond with live long and prosper and right. I do the hand gesture. So <laughs> oh, that's yeah, too kind of you. You have to, because I mean, hey, to people who meet a volcanologist for the first time, it's a cool thing. Right. Like you work on volcanoes. But then to, you know, when you're a volcanologist, you're like, yeah, so I get up in the morning and I have to pay the water bill. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you're just like anybody else, but it is cool. And you, ha- you can't forget that. Like whatever you're studying, you love it. Otherwise you wouldn't be doing it. You have to keep that joy. And that's, that's what I think is so important these days uh, for scientists. We have to be telling people why we love what we do and what makes it so cool. And now what gets you excited is the hazards. Hazards, yes. So, and you mentioned the Pacific Northwest. Um, there was an article going around last year that like the Pacific Northwest is just screwed. Pretty much. Yeah, like how screwed are they? Yeah, so um, there's just a number of hazards there. You've got tectonic hazards. They could have a major, major earthquake. Um, we have that documented uh, that there have been major earthquakes along the faults up there. Um there's also the possibility of tsunami, but then the volcanoes, which are my favorite. And a good example is Rainier, which is that really, really big, beautiful mountain that's just outside of Seattle. And it looks like a drawing of a mountain on a bottle of water. It's so beautiful, it belongs on a beer can. And I have friends in Seattle and I love to terrify them. It's also very dangerous. It just sits there looming over Seattle. I love things that loom. It's kind of my my favorite concept it lately. It is a loomy one. It really looms and it's good at it. And so um, it looks picturesque. It's covered in glaciers, 26 of them. And uh, those glaciers, if you think about it, what happens to ice when you melt it? 
water. Mm -hmm. So um, when Rhaenyra erupts again, it's not an if, it's a when. Uh, and it, it erupts about every eight hundred, six to 800 years. Um, it's been about 500 years. Oh, no. So it's considered, it was identified as a decade volcano um, as part of the, um, it was a global effort to identify some of the most dangerous volcanoes based on the people who are nearby. So you look at the exposure and then you look at the hazard. Like, what does the volcano do? Hawaiian volcanoes, there are no glaciers. So we're not worried about volcanic mud flows or lahars. It's not an issue for Hawaii. It's totally an issue for Mount Rainier. What's a lahar? It's a volcanic mud flow. When okay. you have that, you superheat the glaciers. They melt. It mixes with the, the dirt and debris, and it forms a mud flow. Oh. So volcanic mud flows, lahars, are incredibly dangerous, even in modern era. This is where I find out that America as a nation is rife with volcanoes. We're just lousy with them. So many volcanoes. Here in our backyard in the United States, we have the second highest number of volcanoes on the planet of any country. Really? In, I didn't yeah. know that. I mean, yeah. does that, that counts Hawaii? Yep. It counts Alaska, Hawaii, Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, Yellowstone, or um, Yellowstone in Wyoming. I mean, the whole Western U.S., most of the states, well, let's say a lot of the states have areas there we've had volcanic activity. Anywhere you have hot springs, hot springs are geothermal. So it is powered by a magma chamber somewhere underneath. So if you've sat in a nice hot spring in Colorado in Glenwood Springs, for example, that's geothermal. All right, I almost cut this reference to Glenwood Springs out because it seemed too specific. And then I Google image searched it and was like, what? The place looks tight. I want to go. Where are we right now? Like, how yeah. good of a warning system do we have? We're working on it. Okay. Um, so here's the thing. We can only do as much science as we have money for. And uh, if you don't have a volcano in your backyard, you might not be very concerned about volcanic eruptions. Like, say, if you live in Kentucky, mm -hmm. it might not be your priority. Are there enough... Um, volcanologists out there? <laughs> you know, there, there's a good number and, you know, I wish there could be more, but again, it's all about where you're going to get the funding from. That's right. like any science. And it's not as like, it, you know, unless a volcano has killed a family member, like cancer has killed your family member. Right. If, you, if cancer has killed your family member, you're going to be more likely to donate to cancer research. But until a volcano kills your family member, you're probably not going to donate for volcano research. That's a very good point. So, so we, we need more volcanoes killing more family members. <laughs> that's kidding. my problem. So that's, that's the other thing. This is my conflict, right? So if I hear about a volcano going off, my instinct on, on one hand is to go, oh my God, yes, that's amazing. I want to go see it. And then on the other hand, I go, oh no, I wonder if anyone's in the path of that eruption. Uh, I really hope no one's affected by the ash cloud or by the gases. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm constantly torn between like, and, and a lot of my colleagues are the same. Like we right. really want, we're like, we want to see this nature in action. Like, and then at the same time, we're like, oh, oh, ouch. So we don't really want people to die, but we totally want more data. So we, we want to see this stuff happen. Plus it's cool. Lava is cool. Eruptions are amazing to witness. And I just wish that there was a way that we could move people to safety more effectively. And so that's what a lot of disaster preparedness works in, um, on. All right. Here's a PSA from Jess. I'm going to relay it. If you live in Southern California, you need to have an earthquake preparedness kit, apparently. Uh, you should have five days worth of supplies minimum for every person in the household. You should have a plan, not just for yourself, but for your pets or for your kids, of anyone important who you care about dying, I don't know, uh, where you're going to meet on any given day of the week. So also have batteries, have food. I will tell you, I do not have an earthquake preparedness kit yet. I should get one. I grew up in the Bay Area and we had one 
for earthquakes. And it, it was a suitcase that had a gallon of water and I think some canned green beans and some canned Vienna sausage. Because it's weird that sausage even comes in cans, but we had a can of sausage and we were like, I don't know, just put it in the earthquake kit. So do yourself a favor, get an earthquake kit and a plan. Okay, speaking of growing up and hazards, Jess is no stranger to a household that involved dangerous jobs. This is insane. My parents were FBI agents. And so it's- What? Yeah. So the fact that I went into volcano research is probably not that out of left field. It's like I had to do something cool, but- like FBI every agents, yeah. can you say what yeah. they? Oh yeah, what yeah. the deal was? Um, they were well. My mom was one of the first wave of female agents uh, in the bureau um, because she joined in the seventies, and uh, my dad, you know, he was a lawyer. <laughs> when you joined the FBI, then you basically were a lawyer, an accountant, or like a language expert. My mom was a language expert, so um, so she spoke Spanish and she taught me when I was a kid. Um, and my dad, my dad specialized with his lawyer background. He did um, white collar crime, and then uh, he did a bit of gang task force work, and then he did cyber security. And uh, my mom was a terrorism and foreign counterintelligence expert. Oh my God. So what do they think of your career? Um, They are, well, my mom is the one who's like, honey, get out of that volcanic vent. You're going to get hurt. (laughs) And then I kind of always want to say, hey, um, mom, dad, you guys took bulletproof vests to work and wore guns every day. So, you know, let's, let's just put it in perspective here, but you know, it all depends on what you're comfortable with and what you're good at. My parents are trained in using guns every which way. And my mom used to say when I would act up, she goes, I could make you disappear. And so I was a good kid. (laughs) She was joking. She would never do that. Right. You know, it was, I'm like, well, actually my parents had good threats and my boyfriends were all terrified. That would be kind of scary, but her mom's such a badass that she gets a pass from me. Speaking of goosebumpy things. Volcanoes breathe. So, oh, that's creepy. Yeah. The magma chambers actually fill and then release magma depending. But the magma... Like it's not always visible. And when it's not visible in the summit, that means it's going out to the sea. So it's like when it would inflate, the magma chamber at the summit was filling. You could see the lava visible at the lava lake there at the summit. Mm -hmm. And then when it deflates, it just kind of empties and then it goes out to the ocean. So that's called a lava lake. There can be a lava lake. Yeah. It's basically what exactly what it sounds like. A lake full of lava. (laughs) Can I ask a creepy, horrible question? Sure. How often are like human remains found in volcanoes. Because I feel like the the worst way to die, we've all agreed, is to get thrown into a volcano or to throw yourself okay. into one. This is where I get weird. Um, so I've actually decided that if, you know, if I become like, you know, incapacitated, I'm old, rather than doing like, you know, um, euthanasia for myself, you know, mm-hmm. assisted suicide, I would just request to be tossed in, in an active volcano. Oh, hell yeah. Because, because I have reasons. Um, <laughs> so the gases, the sulfur dioxide fumes that volcanoes produce um, will actually stop your breathing very, very quickly. Um, they will basically solidify your airways. So you're going to die from that. You're going to die from the fall. If you're, the one I think of is Kilauea because I've stood at the edge of it and looked down into the lava lake a couple, like 150 feet below me and thought, to be pretty good because you're you're going to fall. So you may die of a heart attack on the way down because you're terrified. Um, but you're going to fall into an 1800 degree plus roiling lake of molten rock. And so you've got three things there that are going to kill you. The gas, the fall, or the actual lava itself. And I'm like, you're assured of dying. Oh, God. Like there, there will be no like leftovers. There will be no, you know what? I messed up. It didn't work out right. You're done. So you don't find like human remains, mainly because everything that you throw in is disintegrated. Like I lost a pocket knife in um, a Kilauea lava flow at one point. Like this was on the side of the volcano. It's flowing through, you know, flowing over the 
other flows, and it's also flowing through a little forested area and that was standing there and it was burning it. Those are called kapuka, which is okay. a Hawaiian word. Um, and so it was flowing through this kapuka and you know, it's a, like a lava river. I have a picture of me poking the lava with a stick because oh, that's badass. for science, you know, you have to poke things with sticks. Um, <laughs> plus it was a cool picture. And I was like, I just mainly wanted to poke it on fi- with, the, with a stick and the stick caught on fire. Um, as you would expect. So I threw the stick in. Um, but then uh, we were hiking through this kapuka, like kind of through underbrush and everything. And I had my pocket uh, my pocket knife clipped in my pocket. And when I got through, it was gone. And I'm like, oh, like there was a Jack Handy quote from Saturday Night Live where he said something like, if you lose your keys in a you know river of lava, you should just let them go, man, because they're gone. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh my God, I had the same thing with my pocket <laughs> knife. Like my knife not coming back. You would never find it. It would be just gone. Okay, so this is, a question that I feel like is on everyone's mind. Okay. Dante's Peak or Volcano? Okay. This is important. This is scientific too. All my, right. My, uh, my opinion is scientific in this case, um, but it's not representative of the scientific community as a whole. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say that disclaimer. So Dante's Peak um, has Pierce Brosnan plus. That's good. Um, it was vaguely more scientific, although you still cannot drive a car into an old mine shaft to escape a pyroclastic flow or yeah, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. So that one kind of breaks apart too, but they, they at least tried, um, to give it some sort of semblance of credibility in, uh, in volcano so that the tar pits, the La Brea tar pits cannot and will not erupt, especially not with magma. Like, the tar pits are related to what we get oil from. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's dead dinosaur bones, you know, like it's plant matter, you know, it's not, it's a completely yeah. different, it's a different thing, like thing altogether. Rock. It's like saying pudding is the same as cheesecake. No, right. they're not. They're two different things. They're both dessert, but they're two different things. So, you know, like, like volcanoes and tar pits, they're both holes in the ground, I guess, but that's about where the similarity ends. Um, so the tar pits though, when they, you know, okay, let's say it was volcanic, right? If a volcano were to erupt uh, in LA, that'd be amazing. But if it happened, um, you cannot stop lava with a Jersey barricade, those concrete barriers, and you definitely cannot stop it with a bus. <laughs> Buses do not stop lava flows. <laughs> I'd like to debunk that one here and once and for all. Um, and uh, yeah, I the mean, the bus would melt. Yeah, it right? would just be, it would be eaten. I mean, just eaten. And so the lava, because it's solidifying as it's cooling, there's a cool sign in Hawaii Volcanoes National Park by where lava flows overtook a road. And the sign says no parking. And it's buried like up almost to the sign itself. Like the whole, the, the stand for the sign, the pole is covered in like several feet of lava flows. And then there's just this sign sticking out that says no parking. So it didn't, you know, it, it the the metal pole is now part of the rock. Like oh it's, my God. those flows were cool enough that, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's in there. But, you know, anything else you toss into lava is going to disintegrate. But the cool thing is human remains, because I was a history major. So I geek out on any of the human interactions with the volcanoes. Um, you will find petroglyphs around, you know, volcanoes. You will find um, that the ancient Hawaiians, native Hawaiians buried people in lava tubes. So they were the, where the lava had flowed through. And then there was this empty tube of rock. Mm-hmm. That's they where they buried their dead. I mean, they don't have like nice big dirt plots where you can put people in. That's how they did it. So you don't go into lava tubes. Um, if you're a tourist in Hawaii, don't do it. Don't go in a lava tube, except for the ones that they've set up for the public, you know, near the volcano observatory. That's okay. Is it like walking through a, an open graveyard? Yeah. It's basically desecrating somebody's ancient family members. So 
you don't do it. Um, and then the same thing, well, in Chile, uh, there's a volcano there that people may have heard about. They found mummified remains of kids up there who were sacrificed. Um, and they were basically drugged and then led up the, to the summit because it's very high and they died of exposure and they were mummified. Um, but oh, uh, one yeah. of them was struck by lightning too, which was crazy. But you, you find them on volcanoes and around volcanoes, but definitely never in because, I mean, the lava just melts you. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So there's... so. Is there like a an anthropological like part of your job too? Not not technically, but if I if I were to like depends on what you're doing really. Um I because I've worked in so many places around the world, I try to be really sensitive to the local cultures. Um you don't want to be disrespecting somebody's long-held beliefs, uh, even if it's a culture that's no longer there, uh, mainly because you could be ruining some sort of historical artifact too. And it, it all has value to understanding the world around us. So I, I love learning everything. And there are scientists who are more focused and more um, specialized. But for me, I mean, if I'm in an area that has uh, an extensive history of the the locals interacting with the volcanoes, then it makes it extra interesting for me. And I like to learn the historic names of mountains. Um, for example, uh, Crater Lake in Oregon, uh, it was originally called Mount Mazama, and it was considered, um, I believe, and somebody will correct me if I'm wrong because it'll be on the internet, uh, Mount Mazama was, I think it was considered a deity um, or the home of a deity uh, by the local indigenous people. So, um, but Mazama blew everything, it blew its top off, essentially. It collapsed in spectacular eruption, and uh, and it, that, that massive crater you see, like if you actually were to draw a line from where the crater walls are up to a peak, like that's how big Mazama was. Oh my God. So like, it was much bigger. Yeah. And Yosemite is, or not. Yellowstone. <laughs> and Yellowstone is essentially just one big volcano. Oh, Yellowstone is, yeah. Yellowstone's crazy. That's, those are super volcanoes. Um, that's, that's actually what they call them. So, it, you know, thank you BBC for popularizing that with the super volcanoes pseudo documentary. Um, it was fictionalized, but it did have a lot of good science in it. So if people oh. want to see something that's more accurate, but still cool than, than volcano or uh, Dante's peak, check out super volcanoes by the BBC. Um, because that is cool. They have a lot of good science in there. And it explains that um, Yellowstone is massive and volcanologists have a scale uh, called the VEI index. It's the volcanic explosivity index. Um, and it goes up to an eight and Yellowstone erupts at an eight. Whoa. Um, and um, zero is the Hawaiian eruptions. No. Yeah, that's a zero. Mount St. Helens was, I think, and I'm going to, I see I forgot my St. Helens trivia, but it was pretty low. It was like a three or four. So, and Yellowstone is an eight? Yeah. Um, when St. Helens erupted, people didn't know that volcanoes could erupt laterally out the side. Oh, right. Yeah. Because it yeah. really, it was almost like a projectile vomited yeah. ash. A landslide triggered the eruption. So it was the largest landslide on record. And it basically, a whole chunk of the mountain slid off and it released the pressure on, you know, that was going on. And then the eruption came. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was a landslide that triggered the eruption and then it produced pyroclastic flows. It was crazy. But until that point, we didn't know that volcanoes could do that. Just a side note. I looked it up. Pyroclastic means relating to or consisting of fragments of rock erupted by a volcano. Mount St. Helens is also a stratovolcano, which is also called a composite volcano. And this means that they're made up of strata or layers of ash and lava. These kind of volcanoes tend to be the conical, pointy, iconic ones. They're also the most deadly. And a few examples of stratovolcanoes are Mount Fuji in Japan, there's Krakatoa in Indonesia, Italy's Mount Vesuvius. These are like the celebrity stratovolcanoes. Okay, back to Yellowstone. 
So, and Yellowstone is an eight? Yeah. Should, I was going to go to Yellowstone. You can go. I mean, okay. you can go. So here's the thing. I'm with not going to die. No. So okay. this is this is what I tell people. I mean, you can die if you go into sure, one of the sure. pools, like the superheated. Right. Just don't go in those pools, people. I could get yeah. bored by a moose. I mean, who yeah, knows? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, um, or so gored yeah. by a moose, rather. Yeah, or bored. You know, maybe I could never boring. be bored by a moose. I was just talking about riding a moose the other day with somebody. I don't know. It's it's been <laughs> it's been a week. Um, but so Yellowstone is a is what's it's basically a caldera. So it's a giant caldera, like the like the summit of Mount Loa, but bigger. And so it's a huge, huge, massive um, magma chamber underground. And um, calderas are crazy because if it's an old one, people might not even know it's there. Uh, a good example is Long Valley Caldera, which most people have never heard of that. They don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, where is that? It's right near Mammoth in California. Oh. And there are hot springs near Mammoth. A lot of people who've been up there skiing will know that. Um, the Long Valley Caldera had an ancient massive eruption, similar to Yellowstone, not quite as big. And if you're driving through it, you wouldn't know you're in a volcanic caldera unless you look at the rocks on the side of the road. It is like 30 feet thick, I think, of ash that was deposited from the volcano. And you'd have to know you were looking at volcanic ash. So it's it's cool. When ash falls, ash is rock when you're talking about volcanic ash. Mm-hmm. It's pulverized rock. So you've got magma. Magma is essentially the rock and it's molten. It's like a plastic solid. So it's underground. It's really hot. So it oozes. Um, when it builds up under pressure, the volcanoes actually explode, you know, um, but if the rock breaks into tiny, tiny, tiny pieces, it's volcanic ash. And that is what causes airplanes to have problems. And, you know, when the Icelandic volcano erupted a few years ago, that's why it was such a hazard is you've got fine rock particles that will jam your plane engines. Oh, hell no. So, and you can't breathe that in. Like, so, you know, if you're, if you're around an ash, rich eruption. You want to put a bandana on because it actually will, um, you know, you'll, you'll breathe in this fine rock and that will shred your lungs. Like you don't want that. Well, why the hell do chinchillas have to bathe in volcanic ash? Where, where did chinchillas yeah. get this idea? Yeah. You know what? Um, it's just about their environment. They're adapted to the environment and there's that really fine ash, um, that is around where they're from in South America. So they're really cool animals. I like, I used they're, to have one. <laughs> really? And did you have to, yeah. did it oh, have yeah. to roll around in volcanic ash? Yep. It's finely ground, uh, pumice, which is like really, it's, it's, what um, we call it vesicular, but it basically vesicles are like little air holes, right? And air bubbles. And so when gas is trapped in rock, it forms vesicles. So if you have really highly vesicular rock, we call it pumice. And, oh. and that's what the pumice stones that you use on your feet, on your or feet whatever, right? Yep, they're actual, like if you get a real one, it's an actual rock from a volcano that you're using to scrub your dead skin off with. God, <laughs> who knew? I have another pop culture volcano question. Okay. Um, did you see that weird Pixar short that was before Inside Out? Yes. What the fuck was that? <laughs> I'm like, okay, yeah. so there's like a big man volcano who's yeah. really lonely. And then suddenly like a hot young volcano erupts next to him. All right. So there is a short by Pixar called Lava. And boy, howdy, did it ruffle my feathers. It is about a horny volcano who really wants a woman. And... He just hangs out getting older and grosser the entire short and he's thirsty as hell for a hot lady and she finally erupts from the ocean floor and then they live happily ever after. And it's like, just chill out, dude. Your life is fine. Your life is fine. Why do we have to teach everyone that they need a life partner? You can be a volcano in the ocean, but I'm sorry, if you don't have a plus one to a wedding, you're a piece of shit. I don't think so, volcano lava. Also, I live in Los Angeles. I don't need to see a volcano looking for a younger, hotter, 
Instagram model equivalent of another volcano. I see it everywhere I go. I see it in the White House. We don't need it in volcanoes. Also, if she sprouts up next to him, I feel like they've come from the same magma chamber, perhaps under the seafloor. Does that mean that he's just fallen in love with his conjoined twin, but who is much, much younger? I don't know. I get that subduction leads to erogeny. We know that. But I don't want to think about this volcano having a chub and needing to rub it on someone. I don't need that. I don't like it. Pixar, I love you. You make me cry all the time and it hurts and I love it. This one, mm. and if you worked on this, I'm sorry because you're probably legitimately a really good person. This, it just was, it was a miss for me. All right, so when they're not crooning about getting some tail, what are volcanoes sounding like? I had never thought about this. Jess had joined a research scientist named Jeff Johnson from Boise, Idaho, and they recorded some volcanoes. They laid down some hot tracks. So when you, when you record a volcano in infrasound, you then have to bump it up so we can hear it in the playback. And we listen to some of the playback, and it's like the volcano goes, and it's, its guts are talking. Like ah, it's, does it sound like a demon? Yeah, actually, it really, really <laughs> does. Like exactly what you think a volcano sounds like deep inside its magma chamber, it sounds like that. Oh, God, that's but, great. Um, but at the surface, too, this is another cool fact um, that unless you go stand above a, a lava lake, you won't know this, but um, it sounds like a guy banging a hammer like a big, big, big hammer. It sounds like crashing metal. And what it is, is the rocks breaking. But it sounds like you can totally see where the ancient Greeks and Romans got Faustus and Vulcan, guys who are underground banging out tools on a forge. If you're like, who's Hestephasophus? Or whatever, FYI, Google that also. That is the Greek god of fire, metallurgy, volcanoes, and he was the blacksmith of the gods. So apparently... He was a god who was also a blacksmith to the gods. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know if they had unions or do gods even need jobs? It'd be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm the god of volcanoes. Like I don't need to be working on anyone's iron gates as like a side hustle. Anyway, Hesaphasiphus. It's the Greek pronunciation. It sounds like that. Really? Yep. So there's a legit place that came from. Why does it sound metallic, I wonder? You know, it's it, it's probably has something to do with the gas and, you know, the rock ratios to each other or something. You know, I'm not a sound expert. So there's probably a soundologist in here who knows the answer to that. But the other scientists and I, when we were standing above the lava lake, it was for my first time standing there. And for some of them, it was their first time standing there too. And we're sitting there going like, this is amazing. Like we're hearing volcano and not just, you know, run, it's an eruption, <laughs> but you're actually hearing the sound of rock breaking and, and small explosions. And, and that, that trip was really interesting. That first trip to the summit there of Kilauea, when the new eruption that's going on right now had first started, I, I was there like a month after the eruption began. So I was prime time for, you know, setting up cameras and things. So I helped set up the, the first um, webcam that was overlooking the lava lake there at the volcano observatory. I was part of a team doing that. And um, our boss for that, Tim, he's at the H H HVO now, Tim Orr, he's a great scientist. You know, we're sitting there working and um, we're starting to set the camera up and we're wearing hard hats and we're wearing um, high visibility shirts that were bright orange and work boots and and, you know, we had a respirator. We weren't wearing the respirators. They're hanging around our neck. Um, and we, of course, put them on and go, Luke, I am your father. And take them <laughs> off again. But, um, but you know, Tim was talking to us. We're about to start work. And he goes, 
okay, you know, if you hear a big explosion, you just run, drop the equipment, just turn and go. And we're like, okay. And we're sitting there looking at these little lava bombs that are sitting all around us. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It's a piece of rock that's been ejected out of the volcano. And it, I mean, these things range in size from like a quarter all the way, and they can be smaller than that, but like a, a quarter size thing up to, you know, something the size of a refrigerator can come out of that. I mean, weren't, weren't any fridge size ones when, when I was there, but. And are they hot uh, lava? When they come out, they're hot. Um, yeah. but then they cool really quickly and they cool as they're flying through the air too. So you get some cool formations and lava bombs that look like spindles, like they're twisted or they're elongated and it's pretty neat. Um, but so we're seeing these lava bombs, the, the closest ones to us were probably, you know, twice the size of a football. So they're like, you know, good size and you know, your hard hat's not going to do anything. Right. And if the plume of volcanic smog, which is called VOG, if the VOG plume shifts, the respirator is not going to help you for more than like 30 seconds or a minute. So you need to get out. Um, so, you know, Tim's making all this very clear and, you know, it's a calculated risk. Like you calculate the wind direction, you figure out like how active has it been? You look at the situation when you're there, you're not just stupid. You know, you run in, you want to live. Otherwise your data is no good. No one knows what it is. Right. So we're about to set the stuff up and Tim goes, you know, there's a very real possibility that we could die. And, and I said, I looked at the volcano, I looked at Tim, I looked at the volcano and I said, Okay. And then he goes, okay, hand me that wrench. And we got to work. And, and that's the thing is you just have to be aware and you have to know what you're doing. And you, it's always a calculated risk because I mean, volcanologists, like we're all well-educated. We all have families. We want to go home, you know, like we're not out there because we're crazy thrill seekers, but we understand that in order to get some of this information, some of it can be done with satellites. Some of it can be done with sensors and we're making strides in that every day, but you still have to have people on the ground, like actually walking up to it and going, Hmm, what do we see here? And, and you have to have people sampling this stuff. We don't have, I mean, if you try to send a drone over a volcano, drone battery life is like, what, 15 minutes? And, you know, electronic equipment corrodes pretty quickly in high sulfur dioxide areas. And even, even the parking brakes, the brakes and the rotors on the cars that the staff at the volcano observatory use have to be replaced about every six months because they just corrode so much more quickly because of the volcanic concentrations. Oh, I never would have thought of that at all. Yeah. Yeah. No one realized it till the summit eruption started in 08 on Kilauea. And then people were starting to have to replace their brakes in the government vehicles like constantly. And it was, well, must be the VOG. (laughs) So the VOG, I've never even heard that. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it, the, the VOG plume can actually be hazardous to people's health. So the good thing is most people on the big island of Hawaii, the VOG plume goes south around the bottom of the island. So there's not a lot of people that live there uh, relative to other parts of the island. Like Hilo never gets fog. But um, Kona on the west coast, the fog wraps around the south and then comes up the coastline. So in Kona, you can have foggy days. And everyone's like, Vogue, did you make that up? I'm like, some volcano scientists yeah. made that up. You know, Vogue is a thing. It's a real thing. Like if I say Vogue, any volcanologist knows what I mean. <laughs> if you go to Hawaii and you want to see a volcano, is there like a good helicopter tour you should like be hip oh to? Yeah. Um, I, you know what? Uh, there's, I think it was Blue Hawaii was the one that, um, that I just, for, for this latest discovery shoot we used because the USGS, we use a different guy. He contracts just with the USGS. But um, I think Blue Hawaii is very, very good. Okay. Um, and I, we had a good experience with them. We also got to fly for three hours. Most tours are not that long. <laughs> which um, which volcano was it? That was Kilauea. Okay. So, and you know, um, you don't really go up too much around Mauna Kea or Mauna Loa because they're so high and it's hard to fly at that altitude because the air is so thin. Uh-huh. So um, I think there probably are tours that do it, but um, you know, definitely Kilauea. Like it's spectacular. If people, if you can afford that helicopter ride, it will be a defining moment of your life. And I say this not just as someone who geeks out on volcanoes, but if you're human, like, and even if you can't afford the helicopter ride, if you can get yourself to Hawaii, and I don't care if you have to like 
I don't know, hitchhike your way onto an airplane, but you should, everybody <laughs> should go. Even if you just drive up to where the lava is flowing into the ocean or where at night where it's flowing down the coastline on the land, you should see it because there's nothing like watching new earth being born. I mean, it's spectacular. That's awesome. And it really puts you into perspective as a person. You're like, this is the planet forming itself right now. And now, <laughs> now you are busy as a volcanologist, but you're also running for Congress. <laughs> yes. Can yes. we discuss that? Yeah, sure. Um, now, what <laughs> district are you running for Congress? When is the election? And tell me a little bit about what inspired this. Sure. So I'm running in California's 25th congressional district. Uh, that's in LA County, but also a little bit is in Ventura County. It's a really big district. And then... Um, was the second part? Why am I running? Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I decided to run um, mainly because of Trump's election. Um, I was really concerned about the, the fate of science and scientific research and environmental protections under, under the Trump administration. And, um, you know, not just because of Trump, but before that, we saw that the um, Republicans in Congress, a lot of them are climate change deniers, which is weird because the experts in the field... Um, there's overwhelming evidence supporting this. In the face of evidence, I don't understand why people, well, I mean, I do understand because there are financial things at play here, but it doesn't make sense that we keep scientists on the back burner uh, of decisions that we're making. And, you know, I do have a background studying history and government, and I, I went to a liberal arts college. I got a great education in a lot of things. Uh, plus, I worked for the state of Arizona. I've, um, you know, my parents were in the FBI. I have a good sense of how government functions and why. So really what I'm new to in this is actually running. Um, it's it's going, oh my God, I'm a candidate. But I really think that we need people who look at all the available evidence on any issue, any issue, not just science issues, but you know, um, social justice issues, human rights issues, um, jobs, uh, taxes, on all those things. You need to look at everything that's available to you and then look at the different groups who are affected by it, weigh all of that evidence and use your best analysis. Get information from experts if you yourself are not an expert. That's what I do in my job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, the last four years, I've been working really hard to make a difference in, in the environment, in the future, and for, for students, but it wasn't enough. So, you know, I'm like, okay, if I can get elected to Congress, I can advocate not only for the environment and education and science, but also for a bunch of other issues that are really important to people and affect them every day. Like you can't go do good science if you don't have good healthcare. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, it's also true yeah, because you'll so, have, you'll have mm -hmm. a disease and no coverage and you'll have to throw yourself into a caldera or you'll have a lot more asthma because your air is really polluted because it's no longer regulated by the EPA uh, and air quality will go to hell and uh, your kids will all have asthma. And so will you, it'll be fantastic. I love that. You're like hazards. That's my deal. <laughs> all the hazards. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, that's, that's what I've been trained to do in my work is basically look at a situation, analyze it, where are the hazards, how can we mitigate them or how can we avoid them or fix them? Right. Like that's, I'm a problem solver. Scientists are creative problem solvers. And I think that would be really good to have in government. <laughs> so you've got another, what, year and a half? Yes, year and a half. It's a while. It's November 2018. Oh my God, so long. <laughs> It'll come before you know it. I know. You say that, but then you're not having to call people to ask for donations. <laughs> that's also very true. I imagine that's probably harder than um, than like scaling volcanoes. <laughs> yeah. When, when your friendly neighborhood uh, volcanologist says, I'm going to run for Congress, 
you usually pick up the phone, which is pretty cool. So people yeah. do want to talk to me and people are excited, but man, it takes a lot of effort. Well, people seem very jazzed about the notion of a volcanologist <laughs> also being in government. I mean, I put out questions. Are you ready for the rapid fire yeah, round? Yeah, give, okay. give it to me. So what do you get for the mom who burst you into the world? I know, a candle. Are you like, no, that's not quite enough. How about memories that she'll love looking at every day? Or frames? I love them. So they're a digital photo frame. They were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and by me. And Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected. You can add unlimited photos and videos, and you can invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees. There's no subscriptions. You can also react with cute emojis if you'd like, and you can show you love a photo. You can send congratulations or more. It's so wonderful that A, it's not a candle. And also, it's not sharing your photos on social media to look at. It's just there. You can share it with the people who you love. I have mentioned this so many times, but my parents have an aura that I got them. My dad loved that. I have gotten aura frames for friends, for family members, for family members of friends. So I'm a really big fan of them. I love what they do. And right now, aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. So that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use the code ologies at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I love these things. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allies love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, it's heating up. It's time to say bye now to your jackets and your sweaters and your tights and get reacquainted with shorts and tees, breezy things. Can I point you to the direction of Quince? What I love about Quince, you can build a lineup of timeless pieces. They keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year without spending a fortune. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts. They start at $30. They have washable silk tops. And I love that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% 
less than similar brands because they partner directly with top factories. They cut out the cost of the middleman and then they pass the savings on to you. So whether you need a sundress you can wear to a picnic or you need some good t-shirts or tanks that feel nice on your skin and are well-made, head over to Quince. I love them so much I put them on my body. That's what clothes are for. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping in 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Put out questions. I said, I'm interviewing a volcanologist who's got questions. Okay. I got a, a billion of them, <laughs> roughly. Awesome, awesome. So I'm just going to go through them. We'll answer them as fast as we can. Okay, I will do this. Okay, I ready? Do my best. I'm like, like limbering up here. Okay, okay crack your neck. Yeah, ooh, got ooh, it. It okay. does crack. <laughs> here we go. Uh, John wants to know, hottest recorded temperature of lava? Mm, well, on the surface, 1800 is pretty standard. 1800 Fahrenheit. Okay. Uh, John wants to know Dante's Peak or Volcano. Yeah, Volcano. Or sorry, Volcano for, for comedy, Dante's Peak for more legitimacy. Cool. Um, Stephen wants to know, what exactly is a dormant volcano? Ah, so it's one that's not currently erupting, uh, but it has erupted in the past and it will erupt again in the future. Okay. Um, Michelle wants to know, how close can I get to lava before I catch fire? Um, well, I've been right up to it and I've sampled it with a rock hammer for scientific purposes. You can walk up to it, but you can feel your eyes dehydrating as you go. It's, it's three times hotter than your hottest setting on your oven. Oh, yeah. So go stand by your oven for a few minutes and tell me how you feel, <laughs> but don't put your head in it. Don't put your head in <laughs> it. Yes. Do not play with ovens children. If any are listening. <laughs> Good to know. Solid advice. Yeah. Uh, Nadell wants to know if you've sent a drone in. Um, so you can't send them into the lava, but you can use them and they're being used more and more to monitor volcanoes. There's a group of guys, um, forget the name of their project. I'm so sorry. Um, but they're going all up and down South America recording, dro um, drones or using drones to do gas geochemistry recordings of volcanoes. Ooh. They're sponsored by Land Rover. I'm sure you can find them online. P.S. I looked this up and it's on a website called trailbyfire.org. It's amazing. It's like looking directly into Satan's butthole. 10 out of 10. Okay, back to questions. Diana wants to know where are the best lava tubes in the world, but now I'm worried that they're all mausoleums. Uh, well, not all of them. You can walk in them in, uh, in Hawaii. Um, there's a pretty spectacular one in South Korea that I've heard of. I've never been there. Um, but I would say, you know, the easiest ones for people to go see are the ones in Hawaii that are already okayed for you to go in. So I don't know about all cultures uh, in terms of how they treat their lava tubes, but definitely just be cautious. Maybe do a little checking with the local government if there's any regulations about going into them or not. Right. You so, don't want to like access 
accidentally invite a hex on you. No, no. And plus, some of them, the roofs aren't stable. So you could actually have a big chunk of lava roof fall on you, and you don't want that either. So it's it, there's no way to tell either. Like, if you or I just walk up to it, you don't know if it's stable or not. So oh, be careful if you're going to go into a lava tube um, and, you know, check around. Make sure you do your due diligence. If I ever went in a lava tube and it and it collapsed on me, I'd be just like, leave me here. Yeah, why not, right? Just leave me it's here. It's a burial ground already, at yeah. least in Hawaii. <laughs> and then no one come and like duck in here and pee on me later. Oh you know God. what I mean? Yeah. Just don't do that. Yeah, definitely don't pee in any lava tubes if you can avoid it. Hold don't it. Don't pee in a lava tube. That should be our lesson for the day. <laughs> okay. Avoid peeing in a lava tube. I've slept in one, but that was a special case. It was I was given permission by my part native Hawaiian boss. And? Um, it was creepy. I didn't sleep super well. It was on the side of Mauna Loa at 9,000 feet high, and we were hiking down doing a survey, and it was pouring rain. And I, I was like, where are we going to camp? Because we were going to pitch a tent. And Frank was like, there's a lava tube. Get in the lava tube. And I was like, but but the native Hawaiians, and the, he goes, Pele says it's fine. Get in the lava tube. <laughs> did you have crazy dreams? I did. I, I was nightmares all night. And uh, and I woke up in the morning. It was a beautiful sunrise. But it was, oh my God, it was so uncomfortable. So I don't recommend it either. Okay, well, I'll cross that off my bucket list yeah, that seriously. I won't do. Go peer inside, but don't go, don't go sleeping in it. <laughs> um, Greg wants to know, how much has climate change affected volcanic activity and also vice versa? <laughs> like how much can... Uh, you know, there's this notion that volcanoes are responsible for climate change. They're not responsible for it, but they contribute to it. So volcanoes, um, when they erupt, they can actually affect weather for a year or two at a time if it's a big enough eruption. And we saw that um, Tambora uh, can do that, Krakatoa. Um, you know, you, I mean, the one in Iceland affected things because it's releasing volcanic ash into the atmosphere. It's particulate matter um, and sulfur dioxide, which contributes to the greenhouse effect. So when gas and tiny rock fragments are floating around in the stratosphere. Um, or I don't know if it's technically the stratosphere. Please forgive me, atmospheric <laughs> people. Oh my God, I'm trying to be technically correct. So according to National Geographic, volcanic ash and gases can sometimes reach the stratosphere, which is the upper layer in Earth's atmosphere. So we're good. Checks out. <laughs> anyway, when it's released really high up, uh, we'll go with that. Um, you know, that stuff hangs out there and it, it insulates. So that can actually either block sun's rays um, and, uh, you know, insulate that the warmth so that area stays cooler, which is what happens, uh, which we see that a lot, um, or it can contribute to gases being trapped. And then that increases the greenhouse effect. Okay. So they, the volcanoes contribute to the climate. However, people have said, maybe the rising sea levels are causing increased volcanic eruption activity. I haven't seen anything to substantiate that that I believe in just yet. Um, I need better evidence if I'm going to think that there's sea level rise, volcanic eruption frequency correlation. But for now, I would say volcanoes affect climate. Uh, climate does not affect volcanoes. Okay. So, good to know. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Chris asked if you really drop your keys in lava should you forget them because, man, they're gone. Yes. Oh, the my God, Chris, yes. you win. Jack Handy quote for the win. Um, but yes, yes, keys, pocket knife, cell phone, it's gone. It is gone. It is so gone. Don't even try to fish it out. It will never come back. Just say goodbye. Then final rapid fire question. Um, Ethan wants to know, when will we finally be swallowed by the molten wrath of a super volcano, thus freeing us from this pain called Earth? <laughs> well, we can, we can remove ourselves from this mortal coil um, by volcano. Um, any potential day, but the low, the probability is actually low on okay. any given day. So Yellowstone, um, while yes, it, it erupts about every 640,000 years based on our records, and it last erupted 640,000 years ago, meaning mm -hmm. we're, we're quote unquote due, heavy air quotes there, because, you know, it's plus or minus a lot of thousands of years. So human lifespans, what are they like 75, 80 now? Mm -hmm. We're in, in the U.S., like 
the odds of us being alive when Yellowstone goes again are super low. Plus, it's the activity there is not worrying anybody right now. If you want to worry, just worry about Rainier. Worry about all your friends in Seattle and Tacoma. Yeah. By the way, side note, I thought it was pronounced Mount Rainier for many years. (laughs) I had just never said that word aloud. Yeah, because why would you, right? I don't know. Relevant. Yeah, Rainier. Still, I mean, I've had you know, tons of my colleagues work on the one in Iceland that erupted, which I'm not saying on purpose because I cannot remember how to say it properly. <laughs> there is a proper way. My colleagues who've worked on it, they know how to say it. I don't. So apologies there. Uh, but the other ones, um, like I worked on El Reventador in Ecuador, which is Ooh, nice the role. eruptor. Yes, the eruptor. So, or, you know, the exploder, depending on which translation you're using. But yeah, they have cool names. A lot what is the, the one in Icelandic uh, what does it mean in Icelandic? I feel like it's also just all J's and K's yeah, and umlauts. I don't know. There's a right way of saying that. But no, I don't actually know what it means. I, I don't know. And that's the thing. Never trust a scientist who's afraid to say that they don't know. So I looked it up because I was curious how you say it. And it's really easy. It just sounds like this. Just kidding. Who can say that? No one. I bet Bjork doesn't even know how to pronounce that. But apparently in Icelandic, it means islands, mountains, ice cap, which is so on the nose. But it's such an insanely long word that it's oftentimes referred to as just E15, which is apparently a thing called a numeronym. That's when there are so many letters. There are 15 letters in this word. So they just put an E on it, 15. But other numeronyms are like canine, for K9 unit, like dogs. Y2K is a numeronym. And shout out to my buddy Jonah Ray, who hosts this. MST3K is a numeronym. There you go. Um, final two questions. Okay. Um, what is your least favorite thing about being a volcanologist? Hmm. Hardest, least favorite thing. Okay. Uh, Biggest pain in the ass. That I don't get to do it more often. That I don't get to spend more time on volcanoes. That there's not like unlimited funding where I can go do research on everything I think about and take all of the scientists I want to with me and all the people who want to go see if I can keep them safe. Like I just, I just wish I could show everybody how cool they are and do more work on them. That's a great thing to hate. Yeah, really. It's like, it's like the best problem to have. I thought you were going to say something about like insurance paperwork. What about your favorite thing? What's the what's the thing that excites you most about the job? I would, and this is really fundamental, um, just watching lava in all of its forms. It is the most fascinating substance on the planet to me um, because it's liquid. It's a, well, it's technically a plastic solid, but it's, you know, it, it has two different states. And then the fact that you've got gas interacting, like it's so cool. And lavas, lavas contain the secrets of the universe. And, um, you know, when I'm holding a piece of lava in my hand, that tells me about how our planet was formed, about the stardust it was formed from, you know, and and it tells me where the planet's going. And it blows my mind. So the fact that lava can blow my mind is why it's my very favorite thing. Do you have a lava lamp? I don't, but I did when I was in high school. (laughs) It was blue. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I think my mom may have given it to Goodwill a few years back. (laughs) How dare she? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty great, though. I should get one. To gently stalk Jess Phoenix, you can find her at VolcanoJess.com. She's on Twitter and Facebook as Volcano Jess. Um, you can find her on Instagram as Volcano Jess Official. And if you're curious about all of this political stuff, you can go to Jess2018.com, uh, Jess Phoenix 2018 on Twitter. She's Jess PHX. She's very Googleable. Jess Phoenix. She's a volcanologist. She's running for Congress. Like you're, you're not going to get her confused with another one of those. Anyway, uh, you can find 
us on the feralaudio.com page. Or you can find me as Ologies on Instagram. Um, you can also email me at helloalleyward at gmail.com. If you're an ologist and you want to be interviewed, if you have an ology that you want explored, uh, if you love this or hate this, holler at this bitch, will you? So thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed. We'll be back next week with more ologies. And until then, remember to ask smart people dumb questions because we're all going to die anyway. Okay. Next up is primatology. I always look fresh as a daisy. Um, the marks on my outfit are not poop at all. Pachydermatology, mammalogy, cryptozoology, platology, nanotechnology, meteorology, 